It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for joining us. We, we're going to have some good fun discussion today with Senator Braun. He's the senator from Indiana. He's now put his hat in the ring. He wants to run for governor of Indiana. And um, we're going to have a good discussion with him, I'm sure. Uh, I want to give you some thoughts on the news. Highlight the stupid because, you know, hey, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And uh, then we'll have that conversation with Senator Braun. So, Let's jump in uh, first to the news. And, you know, I like to try to touch on things that um, don't just come and go in just the moment, but, you know, highlight some things that maybe you haven't heard of a little bit. I hope everybody does hear and see, and I have not yet read his book. It's called Saved, but the story about Benjamin Hall. Now, if you watch Fox News, Benjamin Hall, foreign uh, correspondent, I can't remember his official title, but I can tell you that he was serving uh, for Fox News as a reporter there um, in Ukraine, uh, came under fire and was severely hurt. And by all accounts, as best I can tell, it's fairly remarkable uh, that he even survived. And um, he has been going through rehabilitation for months and months. I just saw a video of him. Looks like he had to have a a leg that was amputated. Um, Untold number of injuries and emotional toll. Uh, Has a sweet family. Um, And I hope we all take chance to to look at those people, whether they be like uh, Brian Mast, a congressman from Florida who served uh, our country and is hit by an improvised explosive device uh, while while serving in Afghanistan. There are a lot of these inspirational stories out there where people suddenly found themselves on death's door, were able to fight back, and now they have to live a life that's hard, it's difficult, they have to overcome challenges. Um, I think of my own son-in-law. My my son-in-law had an accident in a pool and um, has a spinal cord injury and, and changed the trajectory of his life. But attitude uh, defines your altitude. He has a shirt that's like that, and our daughter jokes about that too. And I think we can all garner some inspiration from that. And so I, I hope you have a chance to see, hear, and read the story of Benjamin Hall, and he has a new memoir out. It's uh, it's called Saved, and uh, I just want to highlight that because I do think it's newsy when somebody is able to overcome those types of obstacles and to see him thrive and have a smile on his face. But boy, he's he's been through some hard, hard time. That's, that's for sure. Also wanted to highlight uh, a couple of stories that I saw on foxnews.com. NBC News, they have a new incoming boss. And I think the point that was being made here is when they were looking at the uh, reports on the attack on Paul Pelosi, now there's body cam footage that is now out. Um, I'm not going to talk about the body cam footage itself, but what's interesting to me is that NBC News put out a fairly detailed report making some really serious allegations 
that was suddenly pulled back with no explanation as to why it made it through the editorial process to get on air. But then why was it pulled out? And I, you know, the point of this article is that the new NBC News chief um, has really got an opportunity to go out and share and try to gain back some credibility there at NBC as to why this happened. Was it inaccurate to start with? Why did it get pulled back? Why was it not aired out? And I think as this new footage comes out, we'll see more and more about the reality of what was happening. But I think NBC News does need to offer some further explanation. And with a new news chief there, there is that opportunity to do that. That's just my take on it. I also highlighted, uh, again, Paul Pelosi uh, and Nancy Pelosi still in the news. She still serves as a member from the state of California there in the House of Representatives. Personally, my guess, just a guess, not based on any other information than my gut and a guess, she will not make it through this term. She'll get appointed to something by President Biden, maybe be an ambassador in Europe or something glamorous like that. That's my guess. But nevertheless, at least at the recording of this podcast, she's still a member of Congress. And she was slammed on uh, Twitter uh, last week uh, because she reportedly sold 30,000 shares of Alphabet. Now, Alphabet is the parent company of Google. Um, And that just happened to be about one month before the Department of Justice announced an antitrust investigation lawsuit against the tech giant. So is that a coincidence? Look, I think it's problematic. Members of Congress trading individual stocks either put it in a blind trust or put it in a mutual fund. Um, But this idea that you're trading on individual stocks I think it is continues to be a problem, and there has to be a way um, to be able to put a halt to that because it creates this idea of insider trading, and I, 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 it's just a real, real problem. And here, this one's a little suspicious. You sell thirty thousand shares of a very valuable stock. That's a lot of money coming into your pocket. Oh, and then, by the way, the Department of Justice suddenly comes in 30 days later with a lawsuit. I mean, lots of things happen to the big company like Alphabet, but that one seems a little suspicious. All right, time to bring on the stupid because, hey, you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. It uh, More often than not, uh, well, maybe that's a little aggressive, but oftentimes... You want to see stupid, you want to look to Adam Schiff, the congressman out of California. Um, You know, he was denied a position on the House Intelligence Committee. When Nancy Pelosi was the speaker, he was the chairman of that committee. But he lost the trust of America by repeatedly um, analyzing classified information, coming out to the media, spinning it in his for his own political gain and creating distrust because that information ended up being totally completely false um security clearances uh are not a right i think you have to earn them and when you lose that trust then you lose the security clearance i kind of jokingly said i don't think adam schiff and eric swalwell who was also denied a position on that committee could even pass a background check to become, you know, your crossing guard at your local school. 
Uh, these are just not trustworthy people. And why should the government put people in jeopardy by trusting somebody like an Eric Swalwell, who, according to the FBI reports that we hear through Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, you know, had relations with a Chinese spy, Fang Fang. Like, why would we trust this person? Why take the risk? There are lots of members of Congress on both sides of the aisle that can serve on this committee. Then I also think you get in, serve, and get out. It's not, hey, you continue to serve throughout your term. I remember uh, John Boehner and others had this approach that said, look, you can serve for about six years, then you get out. We don't want any one person to see too much intelligence. It creates a security risk. And I think that's right. So they've had more than their time in the in the sunshine, more of their time behind closed doors, seeing classified information that rank and file members of Congress cannot see. It's a select committee, and it's a select committee for a reason, and that is the select committee gets to be selected by the speaker and certainly approved. The minority can offer their their personnel, but the speaker gets the ultimate decision as to whether or not they serve on that committee. It's just time for new, fresh blood. And for Adam Schiff to go on TikTok and say that the Chinese are, are laughing at us, um, have you not been reading the intelligence reports that maybe TikTok is too closely tied to the Chinese government and that's where he goes to complain about not being on the Intel Committee? Oh my gosh, the joke's on you. That is absolutely stupid. All right. Uh, and the other one I wanted to highlight, which is kind of fun. There was a, a basketball game going on and Loyola uh, was playing this basketball game and... Uh, with 16 minutes and 30 seconds left in the second half, they had to stop the game because the allegation is somebody from Uber Eats was delivering some McDonald's and the Uber Eats delivery person walked on the court looking for the person that they were trying to deliver the McDonald's to. So hats off to somebody who orders McDonald's at a basketball game. Uh, but does the Uber Eats person, it literally walks on the court to try to find the person and the referees have to say, all right, time out. Wait a second. We can't have somebody walking around on the court. And they were from Uber Eats. And I, I just smile at this one and think, all right, dude, uh, that's a little stupid there. You, you can't go on the basketball court in the middle of a game to deliver your Uber Eats. And that's bringing on the stupid. All right, time to, to get a hold of uh, Senator Braun. I, I've had some interaction with uh, Senator Braun. I look forward to chatting with him. And uh, he is uh, a freshman a senator from Indiana. But now he said, hey, I'm not running for a second term. I What I want to do is I want to run for governor of Indiana. He said businessman at heart. And I look forward to this conversation. So let's dial up Senator Braun from Indiana. Hello. Senator Braun, hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for answering the phone. I appreciate it. Well, sometimes you don't know who's calling in, but I uh, had a good uh, uh, inkling here that it was going to be somebody I wanted to talk to. Well, thanks. You know, that whole caller ID thing, um, I, I, I've got to make sure that, uh, you know, people don't do that if I'm going to get them to answer the phone. So uh, I, I do appreciate it. 
Hey, good to be on with you. You know, I've had the the pleasure of uh, interacting with you a bit. Um, and actually, one of my former staffers, uh, Katie Bailey, has been one of your key staffers. And so I've kind of got to know and see and pay attention probably as much as anybody, uh, just because I, you know, I really do appreciate her. She's really hardworking. And um, I've just really admired what you've done uh, in running for the Senate and, and being in the United States Senate. Well, uh, getting back to Kaylee, number one, uh, Katie, she was Tom uh, Coburn's uh, LD. And uh, Tom Coburn, when I was asked, who do you admire in the Senate? Uh, he was talking about these fiscal issues back way before it's got this significance now. And Katie has uh, always been tuned into that as well and lucky to have her. So, uh, yeah, we've had a really interesting four years coming from where I did, which is being an entrepreneur, uh, school board member for 10 years. Uh, that call actually came in for my wife back in 04, and she fended it off uh, kind of uh, very adroitly. And I was listening to the conversation and said, well, maybe my husband would be interested. So that was my first foray into the public arena. And then three years of state legislator and I was going to go back to my business in 18 and uh, then looked out east where most of the issues seemed to be. And that got me motivated to run out of nowhere to run for Senate. And that, uh, well, the rest is history, I guess, at this point. Yeah, but you didn't take the easy path here. I mean, you, you had I, other, I mean, you the, the to run the gauntlet the way you did with somebody who essentially I mean, you didn't really have a, a political pedigree here. It wasn't as if you had you know, done all the classical things to suddenly run for Senate, but you were able to kind of shoot through the middle. And that's a testament to to you personally, what you said, how you did it, um, and people just ultimately believing in you. Well, I think that was part of that entrepreneurial gut. And I tell people that it can do you well in politics because you got so many things that you don't have full information on. Being an entrepreneur, you're constantly trying to outmaneuver your competition. And uh, depending on what level you start that at, uh, you're kind of on your own for a lot of it. So a uh, lot of um, parallels. But when I did decide to run for Senate, uh, I saw that uh, Trump had won Indiana by 19 points in 16. And then again in 2020, he won it by 16 points. And Jason, to me, uh he was the manifestation of half the country teed off with business as usual in D.C. And uh, he uh, hit that right on the money because this place is you've been here is worse than what you can imagine when you see it up close like right. I have for four years and like you did for a while. Well, and look, you also I think uh, the the good people there in Indiana, I think you you built something that was real. You had real jobs. You had great success. You know, when I when I first ran for office, um, and with all the respect, I'm very friendly and have great admiration for the person that I defeated. You know, it's it's sort of the American way. You put your hat in the ring, you fight, uh, uh, but you also have respect for your for your opponent. And you know, he had served in the Congress for 12 years when I took him on, and um, and you know, he pointed out their differences, but. You know, part of what I argued was, look, if you want different results, you're going to have to elect different people. And why don't you elect somebody from the business community? We'll probably get a different result than just adding and throwing another attorney at the problem. 
Hey, I, uh, when Rick Scott and I came in in 18, uh, we were both proud that we knocked it down from 62 attorneys to 60. So, <laughs> and, and most of them, Jason, had pivoted right out of law school into an elected or appointed politics. And now they all want to be U.S. senators, congressmen, and they've never done anything in the real world. So I uh, view that as almost a necessity. Term limits, which I believe in them even more now than I did before I came in, would churn the system enough, similar to the way it did naturally. I always cite Washington and Jefferson. They hurried back to Mount Vernon and Monticello because they actually liked what they were doing before better. And imagine how long they could have camped out by setting a bad example then. So maybe someday we'll get there. Yeah. You know, President Washington, I think it not, I think is one of the, if not the greatest, um, political heroes uh, of mine, not only given the time being the first president and all of that, but his farewell speech where in essence, and I'm paraphrasing poorly, um, that, you know, this nation needs to be turned over. Yeah, I could continue to serve in perpetuity, but um, really it's time for somebody else to do it. I I think that's right. When I went into Congress and I took a position for a long time that, um, you know, our founders essentially do have term limits. You know, you stand for election in the House every every 24 months and every six years in the Senate. But as I've even stepped further and further away from it, I think term limits are an absolute necessity. I, I, I really do think you get in, serve, and you get out. And by the way, I think there should also be term limits for uh, the bureaucracy. If you're going to serve in the senior service there, um, I'm not talking about your rank and file post you know, a postal carrier. I'm talking about people in the senior management of our federal government. They too should have term limits because they get entrenched and they tend to run the place. I'd agree with that 100% as well. And that is the part of the world I come from. That's all intuitive. Uh, and if it's not intuitive to you and you struggle with it, you're probably not running an enterprise that's going to be agile going to be competitive, adapting to changing trends and needs. So in government has just uh, solidified into all the things we know uh, that don't work in the real world. And we've just covered a few of them. And then, Jason, you talk about how we've evolved. Think about it. When I got here, we were 18 trillion in debt. Now we're 31. You look at being just 5 trillion in debt in 2000 you had a couple wars on the credit card you're up to 10 trillion obama says you're going to do that we'll double down on domestic you're now 16 trillion two more years gets us to 18 when i got here 2018 18 trillion in debt and now biden unapologetically uh not even considering inflation and the new interest cost puts out a pro forma budget last year later than when it should have come out 45 trillion dollars in debt for our kids and grandkids in just 10 years and it'll be worse than that sadly yeah and the just the interest on that debt i think we're playing paying close to two billion dollars a day um, you know, interest rates were down near zero, but then they started going up. And guess what? We got to pay that. It's going to outpace uh, what we spend on defense spending is what we're going to pay on the interest servicing our debt. And that is shameful because uh, we got a group of senators. We call ourselves the Breakfast Club and uh, we are 
talking about these hard issues, uh, doing a press conference every uh, Wednesday at two o'clock, and it's really been getting a lot of attention. It's the first time in our chamber, you know, we're throwing this stuff out there and trying to make it uh, very easy to understand, uh, not sugarcoating it. And that crowding out effect you're talking about, I had fun with the reporters right before Christmas. I said, does anyone out there know what 1% of 30 trillion is? <laughs> Jason, that's got so many zeros, you'd have to really be good at math and 15 seconds of silence. And the first one that stepped up said 300 million, because that seemed like a huge figure off by a factor of 10 yeah, that's right. 300 billion it's 300 billion and, yeah yeah and if you take the four percent interest rate rise that we've had recently and once that gets priced into it you're right there where we're crowding out both defense and domestic discretionary spending and six to seven years down the road interest will be equal to the total of both of them and that's when we're going to really hit the ditch hard uh, and hopefully we'll make adjustments before then. Well, they have to. And look, here's the thing. As so many people are impressed with um, your approach, a serious approach to, to tackling these issues, um, talking to everybody on both sides of the aisle. Um, but, you know, you have a very conservative uh, bent to you and approach to you. Which I think that's grounded in your professional background and I'm sure personal background. But now you put your hat in the ring. You want to run for governor. So um, yeah. explain the transition and, and why you want to run for governor as opposed to continue on continuing on in this in the United States Senate. I mean, we've only been there one term, right? So <laughs> why the transition? Well, one going to do it more than two terms. And when you get to, uh, I feel as snappy as I did ten to fifteen years ago. But you'll find out. Every year, uh, once you get to a certain point, that marginal year in the future it <laughs> takes a little more thought than maybe what it did 10, 15 years ago. So it's going to get worse out here, Jason, before it gets better. Uh, we're at the leading edge of trying to get a coalescing around common sense and not just sticking your head in the sand about what will be inevitable. Um, and life is generally not simple. It's an either or. So in 24, I'd either have to run again for that second term in the Senate or come back and maybe set the agenda. I believe that the states will be that laboratory to show what works long term. We've got a lot more flexibility. Most states have hard guardrails that keep you on the straight and narrow. Indiana is a leader like on school choice. Uh, we're a fiscally well-run state. Um, we still have some of the highest healthcare costs in the country. And I don't know if you and I have talked about it, but that took that on 15 years ago in my own business. It'd be for another podcast. I'll put a teaser out there. <laughs> I reformed it, cut costs by 60%, have not had a premium increase for my employees. Well, my kids now run the business. So, uh, in 15 years, it can be done, wow. and we've utilized market tools, even in a system where that doesn't work very well. A lot of that kind of stuff I can orchestrate as governor, and I'm going to stay involved in conservative politics, I guess, until I decide to hunt and fish full time, and that's a ways down the road. I just think in 24, 
what I've accumulated in terms of life experience, I can put it to better work as a governor as opposed to a senator. Well, it, there is something about, you know, going home, doing it at home, because you're right. Um, I, I think that experience as governor, previous to my uh, being in the in the House of Representatives, I was chief of staff to Governor Huntsman. And the ability for a governor to actually do things and get things moving um, and being the chief executive officer uh, that does, does make a difference. You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Senator Braun right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Senator, I want to go back to your childhood because I'm fascinated by people who who um, accomplish what a lot of people want to do but aren't able to do it. And it's kind of, how did I build this? How did I do this? How did I get there? Start with where I was born and kind of walk us through those early years and, and kind of what informed your conservative approach to, to not only business but also politics as well. It's a great question because I get it ask often once you've taken a little little business over 37 years and turned it into a national company uh and you've done it in your hometown you do get involved in politics and often what follows is who was your mentor uh you know who helped you along the way right and that i had to really think about because you know who they were it was my family and my community And then I thought about that, how blessed anyone would be if you could say that, because that context would give everyone an opportunity, I think, to prosper in the long run. You know, I ended up getting highly degreed, uh, lived away for two years. That was from in the late 70s. And then unlike anyone else, uh, then we moved back to my hometown, my wife and I. Went to grade school together. We hardly associated at all until our senior year in high school. And I always ask her after we got married two years out of or right after we graduated from college, uh, dear, how many people told you that you were really, really lucky? And she was so nice. She said, well, there were a few. So (laughs) I got lucky there and we wanted to raise a family, raise four kids, three of whom now work in my business. But if you go way back, I came from a community that was pretty monolithically German Catholic. That's got a lot of heritage with it. It was very faith-based. It was a close-knit community, which I think has nicely expanded itself in a way that's uh, broadened itself out as a community. But that was the context. And other than that, I was a normal kid. I was mostly interested in sports. Uh, Books came fairly easily, didn't really pay much attention to them until I was later on in high school and then wanted to be a doctor, wanted to be a surgeon until I found out that was going to take nine years. So (laughs) even once I got in college, I started shifting gears to get to that right place, which was eventually going to business school. Tell people all the time, you got a lot of forks in the road. If you're blessed with a solid upbringing, which I was life is going to be easier in the long run. We need to figure out how to get that as a context across the country. And that's not 
like uh, an ideal that I think is impossible to reach, just something that was there a little easier to attain. We just need to find out how we adapt it in maybe some of the urban areas that have lost that. And when you lose those roots, I think there's a reflex to turn to government. And I've never found government at the national level to be the answer. It should maybe be a backstop. The founders never intended it to be the primary uh, function in our lives. And I'll keep preaching that, uh, you know, until I get uh, many years down the road. Tell us a little bit about sort of Indiana values. You know, we talk about flyover country. We talk about the heart of the country. You know, I, I, it's really hard for me to find somebody who was born, raised, and grew up in Indiana that isn't just a downright nice person. Like, I, I just, I can't think of somebody, I, I just can't. And um, it's got a reputation for that, and that's earned. But what is it about Indiana that's just, you know, uh, good family values? Our uh, state nickname, Hoosiers, it's got a lot of different uh derivations in terms of how we got there but generally the other h goes with it who's your hospitality and we are uh, hard workers we are enterprisers uh my hometown is, was blessed with probably more entrepreneurs per capita than any other place in indiana which is an entrepreneurial state so that means we are risk takers oftentimes jason people will ask well what's the differentiator I say a few uh, simple things. Uh, you've got to generally be willing to take a risk. If you don't take a risk, you're in that broad band of mediocrity. You don't want to bet the farm. Hoosiers are willing to do that. Hoosiers are self-reliant, but also appreciate the community. You throw faith, family, community, enterprise in there, and kind of a context of a state that's grown up with a kind of an independent streak. You can't ask for a better place to grow up. And then the other hate H is humility. Almost all Hoosiers are not going to be crowing about what they might have done. They're just going to prove it uh, by uh, practicing what they preach, and then executing on it. And uh, I'm lucky I'm from Indiana, I guess. So you've mentioned your hometown a few times. Uh, what is your hometown? How big was it? And, uh, um, you know, growing up, what what was it like? So I'm from Jasper, Indiana. Um, and I think the name was gotten from looking in the Bible, and Jasper was uh, mentioned as a, uh, a rare... Uh, kind of gem or something to that effect. And there's the namesake, not a German name. And uh, 8,000 people when I grew up in the late 60s uh, through the early 70s, uh, we're now a booming 18,000. But uh, most communities like ours have either stayed the same or shrunk. And that's due to the uh, heritage of that entrepreneurial enterprise because we've had so many large companies started in my hometown. I moved back and started a distribution and logistics company. Most of them have been manufacturing. Uh, our county uh, was roughly 28,000 when I grew up. We're now 42. But the characteristic that would distinguish it, I think we got 13 or 14 Catholic parishes, or we used to. I think we still have 11 or 12. And in my hometown, 
three large ones. So faith has been intertwined with that family and community. And there's where we've really kind of attenuated over time is uh, faith is increasingly taken out of the equation, being substituted with government. And I think that's a bad way to go, uh, now, my own opinion. Did you play any sports growing up? I was uh, basketball was number one in Indiana. And uh, we had such good basketball players. And I didn't start as a small forward until I was a senior. We had B teams that would generally beat a lot of the varsity right. teams around the neighborhood. I was a split end on our high school football team. And I uh, was a high hurdler, uh, ran the hurdles. So three, three uh, sports. And again, that was something that was uh, everyone uh, participated if they were able and uh, did it in a lot fewer sports that were available at that time. But yes, sports, girls, and uh, probably uh, education was secondary or tertiary at that time. Well, there's an honest answer. Um, so, uh, but what is, you know, I'm fascinated about this and some of the previous podcasts, I've talked about this as well. There's something about sport that um, it, it prepares people for, I think the real world, because you learn to win, you learn to lose you. There's camaraderie, there's competition. You got to work hard. Um, you get to see what other people are doing. You work with others. Uh, I just think it, it's and it's when I think of basketball, you can't help but think about Indiana. And I mean, and um, so what is it that you've learned or seen from sport that you think is is healthy for American and, and for America and for kids? You know, when you look at um, your uh, willingness to take a risk, when you look at your uh, judgment in life, when you look at whether you're interested in sports or not, I think some of that is hardwired, uh, but I think a lot of it can be acquired as well. Just if you're oh, looking, if you're paying attention, if you're curious. And I think when you do get into athletic sports, it draws out competition uh, and transparency and all the things that later in life, you might take a more of a, you know, political or a, a functional look at it's all there in sports and when you do it you're going to have more disappointment probably than euphoria i didn't get a start on the basketball team until i was a senior and uh i uh, appreciated all that i got out of it and probably didn't know even what was going on until later down the road when you can look back. So I like competition. I like sports being uh, intertwined with a formal education uh, in the books. And I think when you combine the two of them, you're going to get the best out of any individual. And it doesn't mean that anyone has to do both of them. Uh, you can do either one of them. But as long as you're not uh, thinking that life is going to be laid out comfortably in front of you and where you're going to depend on especially government to be your business partner in life you're going to learn early on through competition that it works it works in the private sector uh right now i think we're in the throes of trying to replace private enterprise and competition and transparency a lot of the large companies once you're successful jason lean to government for protection and forget their roots. I'll never forget my roots. I embrace competition, transparency. School choice would be an example of that. 
when you have one of anything, even if you competed to get there, that's not a good place to be for good outcomes in the long run, whether it's in government, academics, or the business world. I think you're absolutely right that too much of the dependency and, hey, the, there's, there, there needs to be a safety net. There, we don't want anybody to totally fall down, but, you know, that's temporary. Let's help you get back up on your feet, become self-sufficient. And uh, But if you're just going to game it to try to do the least, um, yet that's not a formula for success, not for the... Not for the people who fund the government, uh, which is us, the taxpayers, but it's also not for the individual. And I, exactly. And and this is why I continue to gravitate back to to sport. You're, you're right. You 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 aren't going to all have the euphoria of becoming the state champions, but if you learn to do those things and you know work hard and work smart and see success around you and and experience winning and losing i th- i think it's a real i think it's a real plus and i worry that today's generation you know they aren't out there they're so tied to their phones they're so tied to social media that they don't go out and have real experiences and just go out and play until it's dark and cold and hungry and then you come in you know in their bigger cities i i worry about just the safety and security and the ability of somebody to get out and try something and do something new and and have life experiences and there's a lot of concerns i guess the older i get the the bigger the perspective is and and the concerns about the macro approach to how we create an opportunity for our younger generation to to thrive and it's so important. Uh, when I was on a school board from 04 to 14, of course, we weren't wrestling with critical race theory, right. masking kids, trying to teach, you know, remotely. And, uh, and being a senator, I was able to uh, ask uh, uh, Cardona, our secretary of education, uh, when he had just come through Indiana and he was complaining about the school board meetings being a little rowdy because our guy didn't win. And then the subject changed to... Uh, who should be the most important stakeholder in our kids' own education. And he was having a lot of trouble getting parents, you know, out of his mouth. And that family and parental involvement, uh, it's a must school choice. Indiana's been at the forefront of it. Uh, more uh, states are catching on. And I think that uh, it is so uh, important that even there uh, we don't lose sight of choice and competition because it really hones any endeavor to be better. And whenever you have too few, it starts to operate like government, which you got to constantly keep it in line in a place like DC that has its own printing press and can keep (laughs) swiping the credit card annually. It's even worse. So uh, yes, a lot of that applies at those most seminal basic levels. And then you get to a place like where you've served, where I'm serving currently, and so much is at stake, I think, for the future of our country, where you can't look to a place like this to be leading your life. It does not have a good long-term outcome in my mind. No, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be right back. All right, Senator, uh, we're going to transition here a little bit as we kind of get near the end of this podcast. I got to ask you some personal questions. And, I, you know, no matter how many uh, basketball games you've watched, participated in, you're probably not properly prepared for this. But, you know, we're going to do it anyway. I hope that's OK. 
I'll go. I'll go for it. All right. All right. It's good to make you a little bit nervous. Everybody likes a, a somebody in politics to be a little bit nervous. So okay. <laughs> All right. The, the, this is just personal stuff. We want to have a little fun with this. What was the first concert you attended? Uh, Shanana. <laughs> really, in Indiana. In uh, Bloomington, yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. What, what was your high school mascot? A wildcat. All right. Well, that makes sense. That's better than most. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. What What was your first job? Like, not, hey, your mom and dad saying, hey, you know, you need to take the garbage out on Tuesdays. Not that. Like, the first job away from your family, what was the very first thing you actually got paid to do? So, uh, and it's seared in my mind uh, forever, it was stacking lumber uh, as a sophomore or junior in high school at one of our furniture factories. And it was outside. And imagine moving one board from a disorganized pile onto slats and doing that all day for eight hours. Uh, you'll appreciate the value of hard work. And maybe it'll give you some guidance on you may on what you may not want to do. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about some of my first jobs and I learned real quickly. I was a white collar guy. I I better get some skills because <laughs> my, uh, you know, pulling weeds in Arizona in the summer was that was tough duty. What I was doing back in the day, but um, and then by the way, my second job uh, was learning how to weld uh, when I was in college, and I could still pick up a, a stick and I think lay a bead down. So uh, I was uh, thankful for that. Oh, very good, very good. All right. If you could meet one person, if you could go to the family and say, hey, uh, guess what, folks? We got somebody fun coming over tonight. Anybody in history, dead or alive, you could have one person come over and spend the spend the evening, break bread with them and, and have a little discussion. Who would that person be? It would uh, clearly be uh, Thomas Jefferson, um, because I look at, uh, you know, what he did to form the system. He was at that. Uh, early stage of when we were pioneering, uh, you know, he uh, he issued and uh, chartered the uh, Expedition West. And I guess the next two people I would love to sit down and talk to would be Lewis and Clark, because if I could romanticize and do one thing in life, it would have been to been on that adventure. And then quickly I sober up when I think about I would have not had air conditioning. I would have not been sleeping <laughs> on a bed. I love the outdoors. I love to hunt and fish. I've always had an affinity with mother nature. And uh, that still would be something that when you look at what they did and actually made it back intact, I think maybe less one of the party. That's amazing to me. Yeah, you know, that's a great answer because Lewis and Clark, I've read a few books about them and I, I too have a great just love and affinity for the outdoors my whole life. Now I'm into wildlife photography because I don't have to go get a permit. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, I can go out and try to get the right light and get in close to the the big game and all that. I just, I love it. But, um, you know, Lewis and Clark, what they did, how they did it, exploring oh, the ground. I mean, the mosquitoes they had to deal with, it's not yeah. like they had bug spray with them or a net no. to go over their net. I mean, it's, and you're right. And then to return it, 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 uh, it was absolutely amazing when they did it, how they did it. And that whole traveling party they went with, boy, that's a whole nother podcast unto itself. All right. I got to keep moving. 
uh, what unique talent do you have that maybe most people don't know? I mean, can you like juggle or can you, you know, do what is there some, what is the unique talent that you bring to the table? I mean, on that quirky stuff like that, yeah. um, yeah. I'm trying to think, uh, it's funny because, uh, over time I'll be watching a show or something and I'll to see two different people. And the only person I've ever entertained this with is um, my wife. And she says, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, <laughs> but it is so much fun. I'll see two people and then blend the faces together <laughs> and give that combination as someone we each know. And she says, oh my gosh, that is perfect. And she said, that is absolutely worthless. And, <laughs> but anytime, and I do that at least once every two months, we'll just be watching something and she'll have to laugh so hard because it's a perfect combination of two different people. I've never heard anybody else even uh, try that, but that is kind of like a worthless talent that we have fun with. Yeah, I I think you could chalk that up to <laughs> worthless talent. My wife and I actually do something similar to that. We don't blend the two, but we play that little look-alike game where you're like we were in the airport recently and yeah. we're walking down and and she'll say, "Hey, have you seen and she'll name a person lately." And I know that's a clue to start looking around and sure enough I'll be like, "Oh yeah." They're right over there because it's just the, the look-alike game. It's not derogatory in any way. It's just the idea that, yeah, that really looks like somebody that we both know. And it it, yeah. it does put a smile on your face and like, no, that's not good one. Or like, oh, my gosh, that's the what's the word? Doppelganger, whatever that word is. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah that's, that's it. <laughs> All right. Just a couple quick more. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? You mean together? Yeah. No. Would you, yeah. Okay. Good. That's a good answer. That's the the, the uh, judges love that answer. <laughs> it's just not right. It's just not right. Uh, best advice you ever got? Um, to get a line of credit when you don't need it, because when you need it, you won't get it. <laughs> that is good advice. See, you are you are truly a business person. That's a great. <laughs> it's it's so true. It's absolutely true. Senator, uh, I thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Um, it's hard to be away. Uh, it's hard to be serving in. And, you know, nobody's going to shed a tear for all the airplanes you've been on and time away from the family and, and your wife and all that. But uh, I, I recognize it and I see it. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck uh, as you run for governor. You know, we need good people who get into public service. And you just strike me as one of the people who who talks from their heart and really cares and can do the right thing and has success that can help mentor and move a state and do some innovative stuff to, to really make a difference in people's lives. So good luck for that. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Always enjoy our conversations. All right. I can't thank Senator Braun enough. Very kind of him. Uh, really is a good, good person. You know, he's not the big flashy guy who's going to be on every show all the time. But when you talk in terms of competence and reliability, um, I can just tell you, you know, over the years that I've kind of gotten to know him, he's just a very trustworthy person who works hard, works smart, does the right thing. Um, and we need more of those kind of people running for Congress and running for the United States Senate and running for governor, quite frankly. Just good good people who, who care about their country, have had great success, and now the latter part of their career, they're willing to serve. And I think that's a good thing. So I thank the senator for joining us.
I want to remind everybody that you can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I hope you're able to rate this. I hope you're able to subscribe to it, but certainly rate this. I would appreciate that. And uh, head on over to Fox News Podcast Networks at uh, foxnewspodcast.com. Got a good colleagues that have great shows out there. So again, like it, rate it, review it. That would be great. And join us next week when we have another exciting guest. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.